0: It would be useful if you still have your Bibles there to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's on page 1155 in the church Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm just going to read a bit of the introduction to this sort of central meditation in Paul's letters on the impact the resurrection makes to us. So I'll just begin reading from verse 1 1 to 8, then verses 12 to 19. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter. And then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Begin again at verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Let me just pray for us as we look at this bit of God's word. Let's pray. Father God, we confess tonight, Lord, we are exploring some of the heights of your word, Lord. Um, Truths about your purposes, about your power, about the future of those who trust in you, Lord. Truths that we cannot hope to plumb in one evening. But Lord, I ask that tonight you would speak to each one of us here the things we need to hear about the impact of, of the resurrection Lord that Christ is alive and reigning today and that if we trust in him we too one day will rise from the dead and be with you forever so Lord God do speak to us Lord help us to think as we look at your word Lord I pray your spirit would guide us and Lord help us to help one another and encourage one another as we discuss these issues around our tables Lord above all we just pray that you would meet with us And bless us through that meeting this evening. For your glory in our lives we ask it Lord. Amen. Well sometimes some people find it helpful to um, read a book over Easter. um, To sort of focus their thoughts. Um, I am reading a book over Easter. It's probably not deliberately chosen but it did come out to me when um, I was preparing tonight. I don't know if anyone has heard of this. It's um, The Road, a novel by Cormac McCarthy. It was also made into a film recently with Diego Mortensen. I've not seen the film, and I'm only halfway through the book, so please, if you've read it, don't tell me how it ends. But the, the premise of it, it's sort of, a, a, if you like, a post-apocalyptic setting in the sort of non-specified future when most of humanity has died. Um, there are hints that this is maybe to do with Climate change, potentially, um, but it's the story of a father and a son who remain nameless, struggling to survive in a world with no resources, where the few humans that are there are actually doing horrific things to each other. And it is an astonishingly bleak book. It's strange to say it's also a beautiful book. It is beautifully written, I think it is deeply honest about human weakness and the struggle of things like family love to survive in what is often a very hostile world. And as I'm reading it this week, I'm sort of asking myself, what is my attitude towards the future? This is one possible future, Cormac McCarthy paints, a future of pretty much hopelessness. But what's my attitude towards humanity? my attitude towards my future? Am I a hopeful person when I get down here? Or am I persuaded by the bleakness of McCarthy's vision? And as I sort of reflect on that, I think a lot of us have an ambivalent relationship with hope. On one level, we're deeply attracted to hope. We want to be hopeful people. And in recent history, we can see that. We can see at a time, maybe like the late 19th, 30, 20th century, in the Western world. It was more of a hopeful age. Things seemed like they were getting better. Just from a secular viewpoint, there were great advances in science and medicine and technology, more widespread literacy and education. Social injustices seemed to be being overturned. And actually, historically, a lot of evangelical Christians are right at the forefront of those advances. And then for Christians of that period, well, the world missionary movement was expanding, growing. The gospel was being taken to far-flung corners of the world. It looked like things were getting better. It was a hopeful time in recent history. But then World War I blew that optimism apart, followed quickly by things like the Great Depression and World War II. terrible evil coming out of the heart of a very sophisticated part of the Western world. Those hopes seem to be ill-founded. And then you fast forward to the present, and in a sense it seems to be a more mature position if we're a bit more pessimistic about the future. Things may well be getting worse, we're told, for any number of reasons. Climate change, again, potentially. Colin McCarthy deals with that. Global terrorism, globalization. And the idea is that if you're mature, you reject idealism. And one of the ideals you reject is actually the Bible's teaching about a glorious future waiting for people who follow Jesus. Actually, people today are often deeply suspicious of anything that claims to say, look, the future is bright if you adhere to this path. We're suspicious of it because we think it's just wishful thinking at best or lies at worst. So tonight I want us to think, again, in a very short time really, what we make of the message of Easter, what we make of the message of this chapter in 1 Corinthians. The Bible is teaching on things like the new creation. A creation that will be free from death or mourning or crying or pain. A creation, the Bible tells us, that Jesus secured for his people that first Easter. Again, is that just a myth? to make us feel better about ourselves, just pie in the sky when you die? Or is there something more to that? Does this message of the resurrection, both Jesus' resurrection from the dead and the future resurrection of everyone who trusts in Jesus, does that have relevance to a suffering world? At we're going to ask the question, does the Bible's teaching on the resurrection actually matter? That does it make a difference to our lives today. So we're just going to sort of touch on some of those issues around our tables. Hopefully everyone has um, a handout on their table. If you don't, there's a few extra ones here so I can um, shove one in your hand. But just to begin with, round your tables, um, I want you to think on the front cover of that handout, some of the different responses to death there are in our society. How people refer to death, how we deal with death in our society. Just thinking about what you think the attitudes are towards death, maybe that you have or that people you know have around you. Just, uh, just commenting on that. And then, just a the final thing was, what do you think a Christian's attitude towards death should be? So, what's our, if you like, the surrounding society, maybe just our attitude towards death. And if we're not a Christian, what we think a Christian's attitude should be. Or if you are a Christian, what do you think your attitude should be towards death? Just round your tables, you can discuss that for three, four minutes. And then we'll maybe feedback a few thoughts there. Okay, everyone, I realise we're dealing with some huge issues tonight. Um, we're touching on them, as I said, at the beginning. But, um, yeah, I mean, attitude towards death, you think, sort of prevail today. And then what you think a Christian's attitude towards death should be. Any sort of things that came out of people's discussions. You can quote to someone else boldly, if you like. But, yeah, any things that came out of that, i
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And is that generally, you know, from say again, Bob Geldof talking about it, is he generally reasonably philosophical about that? Happy with that, or is there a sense of is there anxiety about that in, in what he says about it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, Church Patrick. Yeah, I mean, essentially there's like a poem I read as a teenager which sort of scarred me for life in a sense, but um, Philip Larkin, if i reading his stuff, there's a poem called Obad, oh which is kind of just a poem about him meditating on, he was an atheist and thought that was it, he just would cease to exist at death, but that's just, that's what terrified him. And again, essentially as a, as a young Christian as I was then reading it, I thought, well, sure, that would be quite, you know, you just stop, that's not that scary, that's just, you know, you stop, but for him, interestingly, as an atheist, that was what terrified him about death. So it's they just two people can have that position, but react to it in quite different ways. Some reasonably happy with it, others find that terrifying. Yes. Yeah, I think Daniel, what I was saying about, is it playing the funeral march at home, yeah. and your parents don't like it. Which you think because they don't like thinking about that. But um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, there is a sense of just why would you spend your time thinking about it when you're alive and it's just a horrible thing to think about. thank you. Any other things that came out
2: of discussion? We kind of agree that
3: generally Christians might not be so keen to think about death when they're thinking of non-Christian friends.
0: Okay, uh, yeah, so an idea there would be a division yeah. at death and that, that would make death a painful thing even for a Christian. Yeah, that's
4: the that you
2: in this world it's sure, sure yeah
0: I mean I guess it is it's just it's different approaches and again it's funny because yeah two Christians will differ yes. very much on this I guess you say and some would just say this is, this is not important other people would really want to have a time to, to reflect on the life to give thanks yeah it's different it's it's sure, sure, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean I think in one sense, and, and you were were touching on aspects of this tonight, something that struck me, I was reading in the summer, um, a biography of um, sort of a Christian apologist who was sort of big in the seventies and eighties, so some of you might have heard of him. But um, Francis Schaefer. And um, I was just struck by the end of the book, Schaeffer Died of Cancer, um, and his daughter talking about his attitude to death and to life. And actually Schaeffer argues that he was, he was very much an Orthodox Christian, believed in the resurrection of the dead, believed that he didn't have to fear death because he was trusting in Jesus, but actually also believed that as a Christian we should hate death. Death should actually get to us. He didn't hold the position we should be very resigned to it or calm about it in one level. I just want to read what his his daughter says. Again, you might not agree with it, but I think it's quite a powerful viewpoint, his daughter writing about um, Francis Schaeffer. His view of death and his own death was having confidence that life matters and that the world matters, that life and existence is something real, true and eternal and is not going to just disappear into thin air. Because of that, you fight to live and because of that, you need to go out and carry on the good fight. You do matter, and God does exist. So you put your hand to the plow, you work, and you struggle. You do what you can in all different areas with passion. You don't sit in a corner somewhere and wait to die. You don't embrace death. You see death as a terrible, terrible enemy. What you look forward to is not death, but the second coming of Jesus. You're longing and working for that. Contrary to what people say, that you can't take anything with you, Yes, you do take your work with you. It's a biblical teaching that what you do matters and will continue on into eternity, building houses, walls, and hiking paths in the whole of human existence so you live with energy. I guess that position was the sense of death being an enemy for the Christian just as it's the enemy of all humanity. That's one of the reasons why death is terrifying. It seems to defeat humanity and all our efforts. Now, of course, for the Christian, the great news is that death is a defeated enemy. But actually, the Apostle Paul does refer to death as an enemy that Jesus came to destroy. If you want to turn to verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 15, just to read what Paul writes there. Verse 25, talking about Jesus. For Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And in a sense that... the the final blow has been dealt to death at the resurrection of the first Easter, but death still impacts us today, and Christians long for the day when death itself will finally irrevocably be over and destroyed. And see, if writes this whole chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul makes a really strong connection between Jesus' resurrection and the resurrection that awaits every Christian here tonight. And specifically, he makes connections between Jesus' resurrection body, the body Jesus rose from the dead with, and the body that every Christian will have in the resurrection. This is sort of touching on massive things here, but let me just read verses 20 to 23 for us. Paul writing again, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So just coming from that, I want us to spend a bit of time again in our tables. If you want to open your handouts, there's just a few references there to the gospel accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. Probably best just to allocate those to different people around your table and just get them just read out in maybe quick succession. And then what do we learn about Jesus' resurrection body from these passages? Because Paul seems to say there's a strong connection between Jesus' body when he rises again and the body we will have if we're Christians here tonight and when we rise again. So two bits of Luke, three bits of John. Read that around your tables, and what do we learn about Jesus' resurrection body from those passages? Okay, again, I'm aware we're rattling through things, but... um. Hopefully that was helpful, just kind of looking at two of the gospel accounts of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. So what things do we learn about Jesus' resurrection body from these passages? It's got holes in it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> or, at le- or at least he cooks for his disciples and he eats. He does eat, yes. Bodily resurrection doesn't appeal to you too much. Oh. No, right, gotcha. So sorry about that. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it probably is taught here, but, but yeah. I mean, that is. There is some quite striking things there about him, able to, to appear in in lot rooms. Sorry, Tom. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. There does seem to be. Jesus is pretty clear. You know, there's not going to be marriage in heaven because marriage is a picture of God's love for His people. And actually, when we see God face to face, you know, we will find the person we have. Loved our whole lives, whether that was yes. Yeah, so I think marriage is only a temporary thing, Jesus says, and the, our marriage to God is eternal if we're His people. But um, yeah. But no, so it's kind of it's bodily, but but without the limit. A lot of the limitations we think about again, it's the ability to appear in locked rooms. Um, but yeah, it goes to a huge amount. I mean, Jack, I think said in our community, he he seems to eat a lot <laughs> in the resurrection appearances, but it is this sense of actually really not letting disciples get away, just thinking he's just a spirit. And I guess appearing in locked rooms might make them presume that. So he's very clear. He wants to eat in front of them to see that he is physical. Um, yeah, but he does also, as Patrick said, he bears the scars of his crucifixion. There is, I think just what we can say, and again, this is, you know, we're at the limits really of what the Bible reveals about our resurrection bodies in a sense, but there is sort of both continuity with what has gone before for Jesus in that the disciples do recognize him not always immediately, but they do recognize him he does bear those scars but there's also something new about his body And that they, they worship him And something new has happened so both continuity of what's gone before but also something different something new, and again Paul tells us 1 Corinthians 15 Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection, there's a, there's a Connection we can make with seeing Jesus' resurrection body and any expectations we have about the resurrection bodies Christians will have. And I, I think it's um, Charlie I've asked to read 1 Corinthians 15, 35-44. This is Paul trying to sort of answer the question, what, will, what sort of resurrection body will a Christian have? Um, and again, we'll see, he doesn't give us every answer we might want, but this is Paul's answer. So it's 1 Corinthians 15, 35-44. John. Now we're not going to look at this in any massive detail. I just want us to to have read it and in a sense to challenge you to go away and reflect on it. Paul's clear, he says we can't know everything about the future, about the resurrection body we will have and neither should we expect to here and now. But Paul's also clear that it will be glorious in the new creation for God's people. That there will be both a continuity between our bodies now and our bodies then, that sense of a seed, into the ground, And a discontinuity will be raised imperishable. Saying there won't be the limits on our bodies. But the important thing I want us to grasp tonight before we move to our final little bit. is It's something that historically Christians have gotten wrong. Which is that we will have bodies in God's new creation. Easter does tell us that. Jesus demonstrates that on Easter Sunday. And again there's mystery about that. But Paul is clear here. The body that's sown is perishable. It's raised imperishable, it's raised in glory, it's raised in power. It will not be exactly like the bodies we have here, but it will be like Jesus' resurrection body. And when you read those gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection, you're beginning to grasp tiny pictures of what having a resurrection body will be like. But again, that all maybe sounds not very relevant to today, so that just final thing to think about tonight really why the resurrection matters because Paul's convinced that it's not a minor tenet of belief for a Christian that we can just dismiss and say well I'll go for most of the other things but I'll, I'll not really bother with the resurrection it sounds implausible or difficult because actually Paul says a right understanding of the resurrection is going to have a huge impact on our lives here and now and that's verses 50 to 58 in 1 Corinthians 15 and Jack I've asked to read that for us so Jack can you read that
3: bless you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not fall asleep, but we will be.
0: In a huge amount we could say about that but just as we're sort of finishing let me just try and summarize some of the practical outworkings of the resurrection on our lives today that paul draws out here first of all i think the resurrection it affects our understanding of who jesus is because it tells us that he is our lord and judge and you find that teaching throughout the sermons and acts i think if you were here this morning you'd have heard richard weston go through acts 2 I've put up there Acts 17. But this idea that because Jesus is risen, he's proven that he is our Lord and our judge. He will come back to judge humanity. So that's a huge impact on our understanding of who Jesus is. But then also it has an impact, Paul is certain, on our understanding of the Christian life. Because first of all, it says you belong to God the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead, the fact that he says we too will be raised from the dead. There is such a strong connection in the New Testament between sin and death. And when Jesus rose again, he showed that actually not only he had overcome death, he had overcome sin as well. Again, the resurrection is, is the consequence, is the demonstration of our forgiveness. Just as death was the sign that we were sinful the sign that we are sinful here and now. You look back at Genesis 2 and 3, death and sin are so closely linked. In Romans, death and sin are just always side by side. And in defeating death, the Bible says Jesus has defeated sin and won our forgiveness. But more than that, the resurrection also also tells us that we can change in our Christian lives. Again, we don't have time to look at it, but Ephesians 1, 18 to 21, Paul says the same power that God exerted in raising Christ from the dead is the power that is available to Christians. And Paul prays to the Ephesian Christians that they would know that truth. And again, so much of our Christian lives, we feel powerless in the face of maybe sin or the world or just perennial struggles. And Paul says in Ephesians 1, I pray that you will know the power available for everyone who believes. And it's the same power God exerted in raising Jesus from the dead. So it's a great encouragement to us that actually God is able to change us. That's not to say we'll be sinless, but the rest of the Bible is clear. We will struggle with sin until Christ returns. But you can change. The resurrection tells us that. And then finally, you have hope in a hopeless world. Again, I sort of wanted to read that Schaefer quote earlier because it does challenge the idea that Christians should be calm in the face of death there's a case to be made for that but also there's a case to be said that death is our enemy but Paul is telling us because of Jesus death is not going to have the last word that belongs to Jesus verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15 this big therefore Paul says it is worth it living for Jesus he has won the victory and one day he will reward those who endure with him stand firm he says let nothing move you Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Death will not have the last word, Paul says. That belongs to Jesus and he will reward those who have stayed faithful to him and kept on trusting in him. I mean, just to finish our time tonight, um, I want us to... um, Daniel is going to actually read to us a poem by John Donne 17th century poet. It's printed on the back of your handout if you want to follow what Daniel's reading. John Donne, he lived in a very different time and also had a very different attitude towards death than we do. Um, one example of that is, as was customary in the time, he had a death mask made, which was a picture of his face with his eyes shut that he kept in front of him in his house to remind him that he was going to die one day. Again, so if If Daniel's folks don't like him playing the funeral march, having death masks around would definitely do it for them. But this idea that you had to be prepared, death was coming, were you ready for it? And John Donne lived in a time when death was very much an immediate concern for him. He came close to dying a number of times in his life. But Donne also understood that because of the victory Jesus had won over death, again, that last word did not belong to death. And so he wrote this sonnet, Death, be not proud. If you like, to rebuke the fear he had himself of death and to rebuke the power of death. So Daniel, would you mind reading that for us?
1: Death, be not proud, though some who be mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not for death, nor yet canst thou kill me. From rest and sleep, which, Then from thee much more must flow, and soonest our best men would be do go, rest of their bones and souls delivering. Thou art slave.
0: Let me just pray for us as we finish. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you again tonight for the events of that first Easter 2,000 years ago. Lord, you know we live in a world that presumes that death is unstoppable. And Lord, the sin that is the root of death also in our lives can feel unstoppable. It feels as if we will never love you as we should. It feels like we will always fail. It feels like we cannot really be forgiven for the ways in which we have failed you and those we love, those around us. And yet, Lord, we come to that empty tomb on Easter Sunday. And we see that death has been defeated. Not by us. Not by our great wisdom or great advances, Lord. But by your Son. By the living Lord Jesus. Who reigns with you, Father. And who one day will return. And bring everyone who trusts in him. To reign with him. In a new creation with bodies that are imperishable. That are glorious. That are like his. Father I pray that this Easter. You would help us to reflect more. On what the resurrection does mean for us. That Lord it means we can be forgiven. We can be changed. And above all we can have hope. Not a blind hope. That clings to people. And what people can give us. But a hope that is rooted in in the events of the cross and the resurrection. And it depends on you, Lord God, the almighty God, who is able to defeat death and sin, who has done it. And who one day we will see the full benefits of your victory that first Easter. So Lord, I do pray that tonight as we leave this place, you would help us just to think more about why the resurrection does matter why we don't ultimately have to fear that great enemy, death. And in fact, we can see it as a defeated enemy. And even as we struggle, here and now, Lord, the victory has been won by you. And Lord, we thank and worship you that you allow us broken, sinful, weak people to benefit from that victory and to have a glorious future with you, secure, By the blood of your son. We praise you Lord tonight. That Christ is risen. And we pray that we would live in a new life. That only he can give. In the coming days. We pray that in his precious name. Amen. Just finish with that final verse. In 1 Corinthians 15 again. Therefore my dear brothers and sisters. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain.